listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 320. Before we get into everything today, I wanted to address why we haven't released in a couple of weeks. For the past month, Mark and I have been harassed by a, a very unhinged individual. And in the past week and a half, this individual has become threatening. So we came to a point and had charges that have been filed with law enforcement. So just want to let everybody know. And that's all we're going to talk about with regards to that. And so. audience, we're fine. Yeah, we're fine. And not only are we fine, audience, but thank you. And you may be going, why is Mark thanking us? Because this show, Oil & Gas This Week, just broke 2 million listeners, which is a record in our space. So thanks to each and every one of you. Thank you for the listeners that have been with us for years. Thank you for the listeners that just joined us in the last week or so. Or maybe you're listening to this the first time. So this is by far, and I mean by far, <laughs> the largest oil and gas podcast in the world with over 2 million listeners by itself. Yeah. And listeners in every single country on the planet. Pretty cool. So thank y'all, everybody. Yes, without, thank you. Yeah, without y'all listening, it'd just be Paige not talking to ourselves, which would be weird. Yeah. Although we do do it. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we don't answer ourselves, I think that's all right, right? Yeah. And we got a review. You uh, yeah, five stars. Love the show. I've been listening to the show for a while, but wanted to leave a review because I really enjoyed the October 11th episode with a discussion of the possibility of hydrocarbons on Mars. I don't know if you ever watched the National Geographic series called Mars from 2016-2018, but the second season actually focuses a lot on fictional natural resource extraction. It's a little cheesy, but still interesting, although it doesn't exactly paint the oil and gas industry in the best light. Nonetheless, I'm excited about the possibilities of how our industry could play a part in the future of space exploration. Love the show and your passion for the industry. From Tanya Tulsa from the United States. Thanks. Thanks, Tanya. And Tanya, let me tell you something. We are starting to get requests to do a podcast on the connection between the oil and gas industry. Really? And space. Yep. It's not as popular as the request for our oil and gas finance or our hydrogen or our mental health. But for the first time in the last six months, we're starting to get requests that trickling in. Audience, if you don't know this, we get literally every day between 10 and 50 people reach out and request a new show. We keep track of the top 20 of those requests because we know there's an audience in demand waiting. So right now, the space connection is not in the top 20. Yeah. However, <laughs> if it ever reaches the top 20, we will launch a podcast on the connection between space and the oil and gas industry. Something else, Tanya, you may not know is the National Geographic series. I did watch it and they don't paste the oil and gas industry in a good light. However, those are organic hydrocarbons that we're talking about on Mars. Same way we're talking about here on Earth, but the universe is full of inorganic hydrocarbons. So hydrocarbons will play a part for as long as mankind is around and will absolutely play a vital role in space travel. All right. Well, so let's get into the news stories. We're a little behind on things, so we're going to address some older news. So the first one is Israel just shut a gas field near Gaza. 
Here's why that matters. Well, it matters because Chevron doesn't want to have its infrastructure destroyed. Yeah. So Israel actually asked Chevron to shut this field down. This is a few days after Hamas launched their assault on Israel. This is the Tamar field, which you probably remember if you've paid any attention to history. It's about 15 miles off Israel's southern coast. And the reason it's important is it supplies about 70% of all Israel's energy. So a long-term shutdown to Israel could be very detrimental because besides Israel needing the natural gas to produce electricity and other things, Israel also exports some of that gas to its neighbors like Egypt and Jordan. So, And both those countries are already being squeezed right now in this low-gas environment. So, you know, Chevron is focused on making sure everybody stays safe. They're protecting their infrastructure. Chevron was instructed by Israel's military of energy to stop production at the Tamar platform. And the main reason why, if you haven't figured out yet, is that platform is within range of rocket fire from Gaza. So bad news and the fact that a lot of the world is heading toward winter right now. You know, I've said this before, that this winter is going to be worse as far as the lack of natural gas or heat than last winter was. And last year was really bad. We have to pay real close attention to this. What's going on right now with Israel and Hamas and the Gaza Strip is serious. And if you remember my predictions for last year, for this year, one of the yeah. things I predicted was a major global conflict. For me, right now, looking at U.S. involvement, looking at the Chinese stepping in, looking at what's going on between the two sides, I'm not picking sides, but I will say this much. The potential for a major global conflict is this close. In fact, it's probably closer now that's been in 20 or 30 years. We're going to keep a really, really close eye on this. You know, when countries like Egypt and Jordan are at risk from not having natural gas because Israel has asked their supplier, which is Chevron, to shut it down to protect that infrastructure, that's bad. Now, Egypt produces a lot of its own natural gas, but it has to import to meet its demand. So one of the things that also has happened is Egypt is one of the places where they export LNG. Well, that has almost come to a stop because of this. So there's a lot going on here. We will absolutely keep an eye on this. Yep. All right. Exxon to buy Pioneer for $60 billion. I'm going to make a joke here just because we've talked about some serious stuff. You know what the newest thing that the environmental catastrophe people are saying? What? That this purchase of Exxon of Pioneer is anti-democratic. What? (laughs) It's anti-democratic because it's going to allow ExxonMobil, who they think is destroying the planet, to have even more leverage in destroying the planet. Oh, God. It is getting ridiculous out there. Anyway, anybody that's paying attention to what's been going on in the Shell plays in the U.S. knows that it's merger and acquisition time. We've talked about it 100 times in this show. It's my predictions for last year. This makes total sense. This is a huge purchase by ExxonMobil. I think the biggest purchase that they've made since Exxon bought mobile, which I remember, it was, which was in the 90s. The sticker price for this is $59.5 billion. That's with the B, billion. <laughs> and Exxon's paying $250 per share, an all-stock deal. Exxon's stock value went down a little bit, which was expected. Pioneer's stock value went up, which was to be expected. <laughs> and this is agreement, quite frankly, is Exxon doing what it does best, realizing the potential in the Permian and going, you know what, we need to own this space. And so they leveraged their capital, and they're now going to be the biggest super major in the Permian by far. And it's going to be about half of Exxon's total worldwide production will eventually come out of the Permian. Now, the other thing Exxon's talking about is reducing carbon dioxide emissions from the legacy Pioneer assets to zero by 2035, which is about 15 years, I think, quicker than Pioneer said they were going to do it. 
This is all tying in to Exxon's other strategy, which is to capture the carbon dioxide market and That's be able right. to, yeah. to move it, sequester it, pull it out the air with direct air capture. Everybody, this is Shell 3.0. This is the super majors understanding finally after all these years on how to make money in a Shell plays. This is much longer laterals, much more technology, longer decline curves. And this is just going to be what the future is bringing for all the shell plays in the U.S. and eventually the Western Hemisphere and eventually the world. So good stuff. I expect this deal to go through. There is, of course, already been challenges to Department of Justice and to several environmental agencies around this from the people that don't like the idea of this happening. I don't see any way that the government can stop this. They may put some roadblocks up, but I don't see this violating any type of antitrust because there's too much competition out there. So Exxon, damn good job. There you go. There you go. All right. NATO chief warns of potential response to sabotage of Finland pipeline. So this is another pipeline that looks like has been sabotaged. This definitely was not a failure. It was definitely something external. We don't know what it is yet. This has a lot of memories of what happened with Nord Stream 2. Right, like yeah. Nord Stream 2, 2. Um, 2.0. Yeah, there was enough damage on this 48-mile pipeline that they had to shut it down. The pipeline operators caught it very quickly, so there was almost no Thank storage. God. Yeah, nobody got hurt, which was really good. A couple of things here. There were seismic anomalies that were noticed by two listening stations. And once again, this sounds awfully familiar. Russia is actually chiming in saying that this is very alarming news. And I actually don't think Russia was involved with this, although it's too early to tell. The other thing is in this area of the Baltic Sea, there's a lot of lot of ship traffic. And if you want to visualize what this pipeline looks like, it's a very large pipeline that is encased in concrete that sits buried on the ocean floor. And they do that intentionally so that ship anchors can't grab yeah. it and mess it up. However, this pipeline has been moved, and it's too early to tell if it's been moved by something like an explosion, which is very possible, or was it moved by a ship anchor grabbing it? We don't know. It's too early to tell. This pipeline is shut down. But this area, this Baltic area, does not need less subsea transmission. It needs more subsea transmission. <laughs> and this is one of those things that we talked about earlier that NATO and a lot of the countries in that area of the world are intentionally looking at the ability for foreign actors to sabotage this infrastructure. And they're putting things in place such as these listening stations. So at least now, if it happens, they can figure out who did it and when it happened and why it happened. We have a lot of stuff to learn about this. So another one we're going to keep really close eyes on. Iran's call for oil embargo on Israel falls on deaf ears and OPEC+. Plus. You know, I spoke earlier in all seriousness about this is the closest I've seen to a major world conflict. And this is another check mark in that list of why I think so. Do you know what happens when you start denying energy to world's developed countries? They go to war. Yeah. So yeah. here's Iran wanting to launch an embargo with all the Islamic countries. Basically, OPEC is almost totally Islamic, especially the Middle East countries. Right. For Israel. And what they're basically wanting to do is to stop the energy supply into Israel, which is one of the ways you cause a country to change what they're doing if you don't like it. Regardless of what side you're on, this type of manipulation of the energy market is basically using energy as a weapon. We've been through this a lot in the last 30 years, different countries and organizations using energy as a weapon. The call from Iran to have this oil embargo came on the exact same day that our current president arrived in Israel. Don't think that was a coincidence. That was absolutely done on purpose. My current administration needs to understand what is going on between the Palestinians and Israel. They need to understand the foreign players that are involved, and they need to understand how 
is something starts, there's something sets off a spark like this olive burger, which is not happening, by the way, people. How do we contain it and keep it from escalating? We have a lot of our military is actually sitting in that area of the world. I also heard just recently three battalions of Marines. So I think 2,500 Marines were sent out there along with our two naval groups. Anytime you see a Marine somewhere, that is a good sign that either we need to evacuate Americans or we're going to have a ground war. So once again, this is we're really close to something bad happening here. Let's hope that cool minds prevail. Let's hope that what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians start slowing down and they can come to some type of agreement. Let's hope the foreign players stay out of it. I don't have a lot of hope for it that anything that's going to happen. Yeah, I know. Yeah, same. All right. Next up, Allianz Trade says oil could hit $140. It could. <laughs> yeah, at this you, point. Yeah. All it takes is for something to happen between the Chinese and the U.S. and, you know, and around the coast of Israel. All it takes is Hamas to get a hold of some more powerful weapons. All it's going to take is Israel to push a little bit too far for Iraq and Iran and $140 might actually be cheap. If something bad happens in the Middle East, I can easily see you all hitting $150 overnight, maybe even going to $200 mm. long-term-wise. Yeah. Right now, none of it's based on actual the supply affecting inventory yet. It's all conjecture and what the market is worried about. So we're in okay place. But the price of crude was going up, and we've talked about this. Nobody's drilling in the world for a bunch of reasons, which I'll talk about in November for my predictions for 2024. Demand's going up. Nobody's drilling, so supply is not going up. So crude prices were already going up. And with this political and military conflict going on, it is definitely going to drive prices up faster than they would have went naturally. $140 a barrel is very reasonable, considering everything that's going on right now. I don't want it to get there, because the moment we get around $120 to $130 a barrel, with all this inflation that we have around the world, yeah. you're going to start really suppressing different countries' economies, which will lead to a major recession, yeah. which is another one of those check boxes to have a major global conflict. So let's hope we don't get there. I mean, I know a lot of the operators out there would love to see $140 a barrel. Let's not do that. Let's be happy with where we are now in the high 80s and low 90s. All right. U.S. lifts Venezuela oil sanctions for six months. This is awesome, right? So we've talked about it before. Chevron got special permission to start moving Venezuelan oil back to the U.S. If you don't know, the U.S. refineries love heavy complex crude. There's only a couple of places we get that from. Venezuela is one of them. Long time ago, the U.S. partnered with Venezuela and we developed their oil resources, which they have some of the largest natural, conventional, heavy crude resources in the world. Then Venezuela nationalized the oil fields, which really just basically kicked everybody out and said they now own everything that Exxon and Chevron built and Shell and BP. And now things are changing politically in Venezuela, including the fact they actually have an election. Now, this election is a step toward democracy, which is what the U.S. has been waiting for to lift these sanctions. So consistent with U.S. sanctions policy, with these democratic developments in Venezuela, the U.S. Department of Treasury has started to issue licenses to allow transactions for Venezuelan's oil and gas sector and also their gold sector. We'll come back to that in a second. So but what does this mean? This means that legally Venezuela can start selling its crude oil, which it desperately needs. The people there are past the point of poverty because of the corruption for years in Venezuela. They literally, up until recently, were trading crude oil for rice and beans to feed their families. This is a step in the right direction. The elections for democratic government is also a step in the right elections. And this will help normalize relationships between the U.S. and Venezuela somewhere down the road. Now, I said we we're going to talk about gold in a roundabout way. 
So the nationalized oil company in Venezuela is Petavesa. Sorry for my listeners who speak Spanish because I know I don't ever pronounce that right because I've gotten feedback before that I don't pronounce it right. So Petavesa is a large owner of a company called Citco here in the U.S., which is a large downstream company. It looks like that the U.S. government, along with the Venezuelan government and some legal attorneys, are going to look at separating the hold that Petrovesa has on Sitka. Part of that transaction is going to involve gold. Interesting. So, well, when your currency is devalued as much yeah. as Venezuelan, you need something of valuable that holds its value that's real. And gold is one of those things that holds its value and it's real. So in a weird sort of way, Sitka may get complete ownership back. Petrovesa may lose its ownership and in the process of losing that ownership of Citgo, actually gain the ability to export and sell more of their crude to the U.S., which would be good for everybody, including Petrovesa, and they're going to pay for it with gold. gold. So Nice. Yeah, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to work out really well. Now, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen, and at any point, the U.S. could pull these licenses back, but this is a step in the right direction. This is good for the people of Venezuela. This is good for the U.S. It's actually good for the world. So let's hope this keeps moving in the right direction. And speaking of them, Trinidad gets full green light for joint gas project with Venezuela. Now, I have to give a shout out here. I have to give a shout out to Dr. Gio Gatton on Twitter. Dr. Gio Gatton, hope pronouncing that right. That's his Twitter handle. He actually sent this to me and asked me to talk a little bit about how this would help normalize relationship between the U.S. and Venezuela. So see people, you can actually hit me up on Twitter, and I do pay attention to that. So Trinidad's gotten the full green light for a joint project with Venezuela. The U.S. basically issued an amendment allowing the governments of Trinidad and Tobago to do a joint development with the offshore gas project of Venezuela. This is absolutely fantastic for everybody, for all three countries involved, for their people, for the world. The more natural gas that we can convert to LNG and get out to the rest of the world that's burning coal, the more we reduce emissions without doing anything just by switching from coal to natural gas. At the same time, the more countries that are friendly to the U.S. and to Europe that can export LNG to Europe while winter is coming because they need the LNG to turn into natural gas since they're not buying Russian natural gas, this is just going to benefit everybody. Now, Shell is involved in this, and they're going to help operate the project along with Trinidad's National Gas Company, which finally somebody named a knock what it should be named. So this is Trinidad's National Gas Company, which is called NGS. Right. Usually our industry is full of acronyms that make right. no sense. This makes total sense. <laughs> and this is going to allow the Venezuelan gas to be exported to the Caribbean countries. And this is just clearing away for more revenue and prosperity for Trinidad, Tobago and Venezuela. Love seeing this. This is moving forward and it's a great thing that it is. Yep. All righty. So Storm Babette. Did I pronounce that right? I don't know. That's Bad how I pronounce Babet? it. Babette. Yeah, that sounds good. Storm Babet. North Sea oil rig east of Aberdeen loses anchors amid turbulent waves. Okay. If you've ever been in the North Sea, it's always enormous yeah, waves. Yeah, it's, yeah, It's yeah. actually coming from the Gulf of Mexico's weather and going to the North Sea is an unbelievable difference. And hats off to everybody that works in the North Sea. Those people that do accept all that cold, wet wave action is normal. I mean, I've never seen consistent 25 and 30 foot waves. I'll see the North Sea. This is much bigger than that. This platform, the Stina Spray, lost not its anchor. It lost half of its anchors, which held it over the site. They had to stop drilling operations. The weather was so bad, they couldn't get rescue helicopters to get the workers off of there. Luckily, everybody's fine. 
Nobody's gotten hurt. The weather has calmed down. I actually had a couple of people actually fly out last week from Aberdeen in the UK to come meet me. And they actually got caught on the way back to the UK in this storm. They had a a huge delay, but luckily they landed and they're fine as well. Thank goodness. Um, Yeah. So when you have eight anchors to hold your rig in place and four of them let loose, you're not in a good place. But all 89 crew members are accounted for. They're all happy, healthy, a little scared, right? Of course. Of course. anybody would be. But they're actually making – there's some TikTok videos out there where they're actually making fun about, I guess, we're going to be rocked to sleep tonight. So at least they have good spirits. Yeah. So good that nobody's gotten hurt. I will tell you this much. For losing half its anchors – and of course, they had to quit drilling operations because it wasn't able to stay exactly on site. But only having fifty percent of its anchors, and for it to be able to stay relatively in position, because yeah, it's, hor- it's a spar rig, yeah, right? In this horrendous weather, is a credit to whoever built this rig and the engineering that went into it. So glad that everybody's fine. Thank goodness, man, that's wild. I couldn't imagine I'd be losing my. I'd be not. I get you would even make it no, out there. No, exactly. So, <laughs> all right, Slumberjay announces third quarter. 2023 results. So SLB, formerly known as Slumberjay, I'm making fun of Paige. I refuse. <laughs> They're doing good. And historically, they've always done really good in the Middle East. Not so good in the U.S., but they're doing much better in the U.S. as well, which is actually pretty cool. So the revenue is up to $8.31 billion. That's 3% up, 11% up year on year. Their adjusted EBITDA is at $2.08 billion. That's up 6% and 18% year on year. Cash flow is at $1.04 billion. Hey, their cash flow is almost as good as OGGN's. <laughs> The international market's doing really well. A lot of their growth, once again, came from the Middle East, but it also came from in North America, where they actually grew much faster than everybody thought they would, including myself. Middle East and Asia, they're doing extremely well, like they historically have done. One of the things that's making them do so well is they're concentrating on their core business, which is their hydrocarbon business, but they've also revamped. And they have a low carbon business. So actually, I've had several discussions with them that is actually, this could be a business unit that doesn't even touch the oil and gas industry. It could touch other industries. It'd be interesting to watch that develop. One of the couple of things they did that didn't actually make it to this article is that SLB repurchased 2.6 million shares of its own stock, which is good. Anytime you have extra cash, if you're a public company, you want to bring back your own stock. They also played a dividend, which I can't remember what it was. I think it's 25 cents per share dividend. And that keeps your shareholders happy because they make a little bit extra money. North America did well. Middle East and Asia did well. Europe and Africa, they were up 3% there. And then Latin America, they, did, they were up over 4%. So this is really good financials. SLB is probably in the top 10% of its competitors right now. And a lot of that has to do with them focusing on their core business. They have other things going to be working on in the future, which hopefully we're going to play a part in. But as a shareholder, SLB, thank you. All right. U.S. refining sector stays resilient amid volatile global oil markets. Man, poor <laughs> downstream part of the industry. They have not been given a break since the pandemic. Well, yeah. during the pandemic, they had too much of a break. So this is the time of year where fuel consumption, both passenger cars, commercial vehicles, and, and airlines go up. The transportation fuel demand has risen, which was to be expected. The problem is in order to meet the demand, because the inventory is much lower than it should 
be. Our refineries are back to running at 93, 94, 95%. A lot of them have not done planned maintenance and repairs since the pandemic. Then we're in the middle of hurricane season here in the Gulf Coast. And if you don't know this, the majority of refining capacity in the U.S. is in the Gulf Coast. So we got to pay real close attention. All it's going to take is one storm. And with our lower inventory and heightened demand, it will not be pretty. You'll see fuel prices spike 20 or 30 cents. Yeah, I think it's almost over. I know it's not done until like November, but like, I don't think we're going to have that problem. Fingers crossed that we don't. California, I am sorry. Your fuel prices are going up no matter what. Yeah, that sounds Um, about right. Yeah. So we're in a good place, not a great place, but a good place. So once this demand starts to go down, which will be happening after Labor Day, we should be in a good spot. One other thing I want to mention about this is that we export a lot of fuels around the world. And Russia exports a lot of fuels as well, especially diesel. That diesel supply is off the market because of sanctions. So I fully expect diesel prices, both for passenger cars and for over-the-road trucks and even for farm vehicles, to continue to go up even after Labor Day. So if you drive a diesel vehicle, I'm sorry, but it looks like you'll be paying more at the pump for a while. Hmm. Well, all right. And we've covered this before. Chevron LNG workers drop plans for a new strike. Yeah. So let me translate this. Two hotheads on either side of the negotiation table, after everything was agreed upon and there was no strike, got into it and caused the chance of another strike. Uh. (laughs) That's the short version of this story. On both sides, a couple of people that were just worried too much about something that was very minor, and I know exactly what had happened. I just can't talk about it caused these two sides to go back and start having a strike threatening. However, Chevron got to the point where in Australia, there's the Fair Work Commission. Chevron could have asked the Fair Work Commission to make it illegal for the workers to strike. It's something that they could do if they wanted to do that. Once Chevron pulled that card, the other side said, no, what, let's come back to the table. Let's get this thing fixed. Fingers crossed. It looks like it is fixed. It looks like the two hotheads didn't screw everything up, which is they, they came close, close to doing it. Now, there still is a risk of another strike. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they finally are on the last stretch. What the last little details they're working on are things that are very minor. The big things that both sides were worried about, they've got settled. they come to agreement on. Now, this is one of the largest LNG production terminals in the world. I think they're almost 17 million tons they're able to produce annually. And then the next biggest one is another Chevron facility, Gorgon, which is, I think, 15.6 million tons. So together, these produce a lot of the LNG, especially for Asia-Pacific market. Really important right now with what's going on with Israel and Hamas, that we have the ability to keep Asia-Pacific supplied with energy. That's another one of those check boxes that's on that list that we need to just make sure that it continues to happen. So it looks like we're in a good place for this. I'm glad that calmer minds were able to pull back the two hotheads <laughs> and we're able to get this thing solved. I wish I could tell your audience what happened because you would laugh. Yeah, but I can't. probably. You're going to tell me, though, right? Yes. Okay, cool. That's all I care about. Sorry, guys. Okay, last one. Devon Energy considering U.S. shale M&A options with Marathon Oil and Crown Rock. Yeah, you can see a bunch of this. Yeah, so, I figured. Uh, Devon Energy's looking at Marathon. Marathon's looking at Crown Rock. There's a bunch of other Chesapeake's looking at Southwestern. So there's just there's going to be a bunch of mergers and acquisitions. All this is being triggered by what ExxonMobil just did with Pioneer. We all knew this was coming. Right. It just when was the first person to write that first check, which when is going to pull the trigger for everybody else to write the next checks. Whoever doesn't write checks during this acquisition run that's going to happen for the next year, year and a half, is going to come out a loser. Whoever does acquire small amounts of great acreage, or large amounts of decent acreage is just going to disappear. So this is to be expected. We're going to keep eye on this, but you can see a lot of M&A activity in the unconventionals here in the U.S. on land. Makes sense. What else makes sense? How about 
the weekly recount. Okay, yeah. So the United States is at 624, up two. Canada's up five at 198. Internationally, we're down 12 at 940. Don't want those numbers to go down, but they are. I know why. We'll talk about it on my predictions. Something else interesting, Paige, our Sunday update, which comes out every Sunday, has grown dramatically. So we went from zero subscribers to over 20,000 subscribers in five weeks. If you want to find out why, sign up. The link is in the show notes. It's really cool. We got everything in there from all-filled recipes to behind-the-scenes look at OGGN. It's also a very inexpensive place if you want to advertise your product or service to the oil and gas industry. We put this together for smaller companies. The pricing is actually on our website, so go to OGGN.com, hit advertising. You can see, if I remember right, I think it's 500 bucks for an ad, and it's, I think, $700 for a video ad, so very affordable for smaller companies. Oil and gas events newsletters also out there. Both of those can be found in the show notes or go to OGGN.com and hit newsletter, sign up for both. LinkedIn company page is growing like crazy, probably because of the growth of this audience right here. So thank y'all. If you haven't signed up to follow LinkedIn company page, go do that. It's just a real quick thing. And if you really want to support this show and other shows, we have a merch store. And so I'd be very happy to see people walking around with our faces on their their shirt. It's going to weird me out. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Well, and if you don't want to walk around page and ice faces on your shirt, we have a lot of pro oil and gas merchandise on there with a bunch more coming. So every couple of weeks, go check out the merch store. Once again, that's at OGGN.com. Hit merch. Oh, and if you do get an oil and gas this week shirt or an industry leader shirt, send us pictures. So 100%. We- send us a picture of you in the shirt and we will send you. I'll send you. I personally will send you OGGN hot sauce. So if you buy either oil and gas this week shirt or an industry leader shirt. Or the balance point. Or the balance point. Or sales and marketing. Or sales and marketing. <laughs> okay, we got to stop there. Put it on, take a picture, let us know, and I will personally send you for free some OGG and hot sauce. Hell, even tag us on social and with it on. tag us on social, yep. Yeah. That Actually, that would be even better. So don't send us a picture. Put it on social, tag us, and I'll send you some OGG and hot sauce. First Friday Q&A is right around the corner. If you want to ask a question, a page, and I'll happily try to answer. Remember, it's for us to help educate our audiences that is not for you to try to stump Paige and I. Ready to get out of here? Yes. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.